0: tuning in to the world xp podcast if you're enjoying the content please remember to drop a sub drop a like and leave your thoughts down below in the comments with that we will see you guys in the podcast welcome giuseppe to the world xp podcast i know you're a very busy individual so i appreciate you taking the time of of day well i guess night uh, (laughs) to have this conversation but super interested to talk to you for those of you listening that don't know Uh, and especially those of you that live in B.C., Giuseppe is running for the at-large city council position. Uh, I believe the election is in June, so if you haven't heard of him, go look him up. But yeah, welcome.
1: Thank you for having me. Uh, As you said, Erica, my name is Giuseppe Niosi. I'm a lifelong Washingtonian. Actually, uh, this whole campaign has been a lot of fun because it's really allowed me to Almost in a forceful way, dig deep into my family history, and I, I found out uh, that we had immigrated from Sicily in 1910 to Washington mm-hmm. D.C. So I, I had, you know, I, I know that I was a lifelong Washingtonian, but I had no idea that my great grandfather, at 19 years old, immigrated. Uh, I mean, I guess I did know that, but I didn't know like what date or what the specifics were. And and learning about the the contributions that my family has made throughout the years to the to the city, kind of really just. that fight in my belly like oh my god like you know i I definitely have something to to show for with when running for for dc council and you know especially a lot of people are kind of giving me funny looks about running as a republican uh which it's. i I believe in in strong checks and balances and and diversity of thought so i think it's imperative that our democracy has some semblance of a a different point of view to, to help out i mean not everything actually it was it was my cousin who had said something that I thought was really funny, but it, it, it still holds true is, you know, the bird doesn't fly if only one wing is flapping. And mm-hmm. we've seen over the last about 13 to 20 years without Republican representation on the council, it's, you know, we're in the position now where it's, it's you know, it's action time. You know, the, the time is now to, to actually vote in a new Republican because we're at record high crime rate. People are leaving the cities in droves. Taxes are higher than ever. Small businesses can't get off the ground because they're being taxed, you know, before they can even really have a, a solid year. Uh, you know, this education is under fire. I mean, so th- there's so many things happening. And with one-sided point of view for the last 20 years or so, we haven't really been able to actually advance. And I think that's a problem. You know, I'm looking to solve it.
0: Yeah. It's a good opening statement. We're here to, have to ask the tough questions to get you prepared for Whatever I don't know, debates and stuff. Man, you were like five hours away from having that Italian New York accent, only eating bagels for the rest of your life. So you got lucky. <laughs> right.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that uh, because in DC, where my great grandfather immigrated to, at one point that would have been the epicenter of Little Italy. Uh, over in like around Third Street Northwest. In fact, my, my great-grandfather was one of the founders of the Holy Rosary Catholic Church on Third mm. Street same to this day, and he held one of the first immigrant liquor licenses to sell Italian wines out of his mom-and-pop shop, but it was, I think, under the Kennedy administration where they eminent domains his land to pave the, the 395 tunnel, and that sent my family out to, to Upper Marlboro, Maryland, but it wasn't for until my dad said, "You know what? No, we're Washingtonians. I'm moving back to D.C." So he moved back, you know, and, and was was crawling and, and had you know a tooth and nail to, to get back in the city. But he ended up hustling his way to actually owning a, an Italian deli restaurant himself. So the entrepreneurial spirit or, or or the the small business community spirit has been ingrained in my upbringing since a young age.
0: Yeah. All right. I'm going to read off some stuff. I was on your website. For those listening, shameless plug, neoc2022.com. And your about page is actually quite impressive. Not actually, it just is impressive. Let's see. Well, where did it go? Here we go. Bachelor's in Science Marine Engineering, U.S. Coast Guard Engineering, Commission as an Officer in U.S. Navy Reserves, Active Member Strategic Sealift Officer Force, Sailing around the world on the Richard E. Byrd, and then engineer for the LCS ships in the Navy and all that in a very short amount of time. You've been a busy person. So what brings you to, well, not back to D.C., obviously, but to the position where you're like, you know what, I should run. Obviously, you mentioned all the problems and stuff, but I think lots of people know there's problems. and. Like, I'm aware that there's problems, but I'm not sitting here running a campaign. So what was the spark for you, and kind of how did you get involved?
1: Well, there were kind of a number of, of almost like domino effects that that initiated this thought process. First of all, I mean, from a young age, uh, it's being born and raised in, in D.C. And, and having experiences. You know, as, a, as a young high school kid, I was trying to go to any of the academies and I needed to get a congressional nomination, so I ended up uh, really working hard to earn an internship with the uh, Congresswoman Norton or Eleanor Holmes Norton's office, and that kind of promulgated me to, to have a really great rapport with, with a lot of people that I still consider mentors to this day, but it really showed me, uh, to, for lack of a better phrasing, you know, how the sausage was made uh, with, with governance in politics or, in, in, you know, in a, in a political office, and from, from working there and and obviously taking the, the nomination to go to the Merchant Marine Academy, it, it was, I mean, you can ask a lot of my friends at the, the Academy, that was always a dream of mine was to follow in her footsteps and be involved politically. I thought that was something that, Hey, I'm doing national servitude by being in the Navy, but I also believe that you should give back to your community. And this might be a way to, to have servitude. And that was something that I always maybe put it off and thought, oh, I'm too young, or or it's down the road, or something, something to that extent. And it wasn't until really having a lot more time on my hands and really having that that sort of and this was all kind of during the COVID pandemic, where, where everyone's sort of sitting around their house and, and wondering what they can be doing to improve themselves. That it was around that time where I, I started looking at a number of factors. One, you know, the the old age in politics, I mean there's not a lot of young people. And I, I give a lot of credit to someone on the other side of the aisle, but to to Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, for example. She was a, a millennial, you know, only a couple years older than myself, a millennial who went ahead and ran for congressional seat and won. And again, while I don't necessarily agree with all of her politics, that was impressive to me. I thought, well, hey, there's someone actually doing something and putting their money where their mouth is. To, to make a change in their community or make, be the change that they wanna see. And thinking about that, it, it really gave me this idea of like, okay, well, maybe I could start prepping for a, a campaign in the future. And, and that would involve you know, be having this love for DC that would involve DC politics. So kind of moving along the timeline it, in, in, in a funny way, you know, when it rains, it pours, right? And so I, I ended up applying to, to grad school at GW for engineering management, and the the August when school started, I happened to receive a or it was actually my parents who had received a letter in the mail inviting them to this GOP picnic, and my dad was like, "Hey, you know, you always had this dream to to run for office. Why don't you just come check with this out?" And I said, "Okay, well, you know, maybe it could be fun. If anything, it's it's just getting out of the house uh, during COVID," and so I ended up going. And that it was there that I met the Chairman of the DC. GOP who was kind of having to call to action of, "They need candidates." and I went up to him and said, "Hey, you know I didn't realize it was that easy. <laughs> I'll be a candidate. I mean this this is something that has been a dream of mine, and I didn't realize when to to plug myself in, but sure, I, you know I'm, I'm interested, And I'm really glad I did that because despite again having to plan for a wedding, being in grad school, having a full-time job. Uh, you know, it was around the time we had just gotten a puppy, so you know everyone who has a puppy can realize you know how how much of an arduous task that is. Uh, it, but but on top of all that, I was starting to to make the phone calls and reach out into to networks that I haven't really talked to in, in so long and say, hey, I'm I'm running for DC Council at large, and um, you know I'm running for the minority seat on the council. And along the way, I learned so much about D.C. governance, you know, how the D.C. government e- even comes to existence, uh, and also just a lot of the issues. I've met a lot of people and really got to hear different points of view that, you know, growing up in D.C., especially in, in Brooklyn, where I was from, being the, the lonesome uh, Republican on the block kind of meant that I really, around the, the country, I'm probably more of a Democrat, and let's, you know, I like to say, well, maybe you know, I'm probably more of a Texas Democrat, than I am a, a you know Texas Republican. However, I'm in D.C., so just the the scale is skewed. So I like to think that I'm like a, a purple candidate. But regardless, it got me to learn that you know the the council has four at large seats. And in the 19 uh, I think it was 1973 when when we during the Nixon administration they had something called Home Rule Act, which gave D.C. the right to to govern itself. Two of the seats. Went immediately to majority, or at the time, you know, DC is majority Democratic. The other two went to what they called the minority seat, and you know, not to get that confused with you know what we consider today minorities, but to you know this would be libertarian, state green, Republican, or unaffiliated, or, or you know what we consider independent. And from from that onset, you know, we we had a lot of pretty much every every year, those seats, I mean, for the longest time, they were known as, oh, the Republican seats, because the Republicans typically had the most turnout for those specific seats. And it wasn't until about 2006, 2008, when I guess the idea that, oh, Republicans don't actually have to run for these seats and independent can run, is when we started to see kind of nefariously Democrats would re-register as an independent and for whatever reason, I, I personally think that they would re-register because they thought it was an easier path to victory and I'll explain why in a second, but they would run as independents and basically just be a Democrat light and win that seat. And so, you know, dating back to 2008 when we had the last Republican who was Carol Schwartz, it was at that time when we started to see this this I guess experiment of one sided rule in D.C. and now here we are with some of the highest crime rate we've seen in, in, in decades. We're seeing some of the highest taxes, and, and people are are having forced to leave the city because no one has the ability to own a house or, or start family here no, you know, get a bigger house. Uh, and, and it's become very problematic. And so I think that that. Being, I don't want to say this, that trying to to break that chain and, and provide some diversity of thought back to the council, I think would would do do the city well. Because even if you don't necessarily agree with the other side of the aisle, we need to come out of you know the last ten years and, and start uniting. Because otherwise, we can't just remain tribalistic. I think that's not nonsensical.
0: Yeah. I would say it's not a really a good look for well anyone to be honest. Um, all a lot, of, all these problems are so complex, and they need multitudes of thoughts and and ideas and solutions. And oftentimes, there'll be somewhere in the middle that that a solution can be found. Um, yeah, I remember you telling me that on the phone the other day about the about the independent running as independent, and I was like, "Ooh, that's a <laughs> it's a well, bit uh, weird, it's yeah. a bit it's a bit interesting," and also. Can't believe nobody tried to do that earlier, but, but fair enough. Um, oh, gee. So, all right. So you've you've come back. You've noticed this this problem, and like, um, so yeah, I'll run. So, I would say no one who hasn't run a campaign has any idea what it actually entails. I know you've been talking to me before about you've been knocking on people's doors and doing this and doing that, but. What does it actually take, like, want to to run what you're doing? And and keep in mind for those listening, this is just a local, a local um, election rather than a statewide or, or national one. So, can you kind of walk us through the the steps that, like, the logistical steps that it takes to to sure. run a campaign?
1: It's um, it's a it's a second full time job. I mean, really, and I, I can't even imagine or fathom what it's like to to be running for a larger congressional seat in, you know, pick a state uh, where they have a bigger, you know, I mean, D.C. is only eight by eight miles. So running that large race is, it's difficult. And you, you certainly have to give every single, you know, district or every single ward is, is, we have in D.C., um, you know, the, the time of day and make sure that everyone, all, all voices are being heard. Uh, and and it, it has logistic challenges. I'm lucky because, I where I live is, is almost as close to the center of the city as as possible. And it my my wife had gotten me a um one of the electric scooters, which it, I know people find them kind of annoying when, when they're parked, you know, around the around town or whatnot, but for me, I love it because it's the quickest way to to get really wherever I want in the city and, and start canvassing and not have to worry about parking or this, that, and the other. And it's 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 eco-friendly. It's you know, I mean, I, I charge it up at my house and this, that, and the other, but It's it's a lot of work, and it's 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 funny being in the position I'm at now, where I I can I can look back six, seven, eight months ago and be like, man, if only I would have done calling people, if only I would have started fundraising earlier, if only I would have would have gotten my team together earlier, or if only I would have um, you know started door knocking or, or made made a couple out of pocket purchases earlier so I had material to start handing out. Uh, you know, maybe I'll, I would have started. You know, had a bigger traction. I and mean, it, it's kind of a weird thing to run as as a Republican in D.C. because, uh, frankly, I mean, there's no joke that there's just not many Republicans. So you immediately have this sort of uh, base of support that is willing to to activate and work around you and be volunteers for your campaign and this that, and the other. But a lot of a lot of them really have no clue as to the the intricate nuances of you know, you're always in campaign mode. I mean, you go to a deli, you go to a restaurant, you go to a, you know, I've talked to my gym all the time about it. And you're always trying to just be as nice as you can because you want to make sure that, that you're never seen as, as a nasty person, not, not to say I would, I would be a nasty person to begin with, but you want to make sure that you're, you're conscientious of what you're saying and doing. Uh, but you're also, you're always saying, hey, you know, look me up, you know, check out my website, it, it, it never stops. And it, it's funny because sometimes my, my wife will, will, you know, she, she's a full, full-time supporter of mine, but she will sometimes be annoyed by the fact that I have to always be on, you know, and that's, uh, it, it's funny because, you know, I like to talk and I like to, to interact with people and I'm, I'm, you know, very friendly with people, but she's the one that has to pull me away when we're at a meet and greet or some semblance of an event or whatever. Um, but not only that, it really is, if you do the work, and you show that you're you're willing to do the work, people are willing to, to rally behind that. And and I think that um, being in a position where I'm a young guy, you know, I'm in, in relatively okay shape to, to be outdoor knocking 20,000 steps a day or what have you, and, you know, being able to do that is, is a massive asset for me. But also, I mean, one of the big nerve wracking things was, again, I, I mentioned phone calls with, with fundraising was, flipping that switch and one being okay with people hanging up the phone on you or, or really cursing you out on the phone when you're, when you're calling during dinner or you're calling at the wrong time. I, mean, I had a guy who was just so nasty because it was a Friday night. He was still at work and I tried to call people like during certain hours to make sure like, okay, this is an appropriate time to call. Uh, but he was just really flipping and, and nasty with me. And kind of like, you know, you put you in a bad mood. I mean, it's just not fun to be hung up on, but I think over the iterations of doing that, you you gain some semblance of, of thick skin. Um, and, you know, it was funny. Like just the other day, I was in Georgetown, over in the uh, uh, northwest, of ward two, and and I'm just doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm just knocking on doors, explaining my point of view, you know, being as cordial as I can be, you know, being respectful. And most times, if someone doesn't re- agree with me, or they're a Republican and the, the, and they're they're hardcore Democrat. They'll they'll say hey, you know sorry but good luck you know and close the door whatever. Well, every once in a while you get someone that and this person was kind of the exception where where she she had said you know oh you know you're you're you know you're not going to do well here yada yada yada, and she said well good luck and then she paused for a second and says, actually I don't wish you good luck and slammed the door. And I was like, <laughs> okay, woo, woo, woo. you know. <laughs> but it i think the you know having thick skin and being able to roll with the punches and and just be okay with uh not winning over everyone's vote because at the end of the day it doesn't matter if i get everyone's vote i still if i were to win i still have to be a council member for all mm-hmm. and there's no exception it's not like i'm a council member for these 10 people that voted for me or it's it, i'm a council member for the people that hate me and the people that love me and and that's the way i have to think of it so it, it's it was a tough you know burden to to overcome but i think at this point having the iterations under my belt certainly helps but it's just a you know one of my advisors kind of said it's like mr miyagi from the karate kid uh you know wax on wax off it's just every day you just have to chip away at it and Mm -hmm. and really humble yourself and, and and you know always be listening i mean you know god gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason you listen twice as hard as you as you speak and and just recognize that that everyone wants to, to have a, a safe environment, everyone wants to have a a you know economic growth, everyone, you know, there, there are there are values that everybody wants to have. It's not like someone is is completely off the off the rocker. And work through them with with how you perceive those values. Uh, so yeah, to answer your question, it's, it's just a lot of it's a lot of work. It's a lot, yeah. of, I mean, a lot of phone calls, a lot of
0: phone calls. Yeah, the energy, like, I can't imagine doing that and getting to a point where I got the door slammed in my face four times and then the next guy, like, saying something I didn't like and be like, you know what, screw you, dude. Like, like that's that's tough. That takes a certain kind of patience. So props to you for that. I do have a question, though. Um, When you're going around door-to-door, like, like we were talking on the phone before, shameless plug to the Princess Blanding episode on this podcast. I don't remember what the number is. Go look it up. Anyways, I got into like, um, like a forty-five minute conversation with her at at the door, and Jenna, of course, was like, "Eric, what are you doing? Come inside, dude! Like, you are not gonna, you are probably not gonna go for her." Like, totally different politics. I was like, "Well, yeah," and I was like, "I wonder how many people like that exist where one you have." It's almost like a time killer a little bit, but two, you've got to explain your positions like a gazillion times a day. Are you ever like, once you get to the end of the day, you're like, okay, I stand for this and this, here's my website. You like, how difficult is it at the end of the day? Like when some guy wants to have a conversation with you or some lady wants to have a conversation with you to like, keep it going on. And you're like, you've been walking for eight hours.
1: Well, a lot of times I try to walk with someone just in mm-hmm. case that emergency, like this is not going the right way, you know, we have to pull out type thing. Sure, and that that has happened maybe once or twice, uh, and, and actually it really hasn't happened in a negative way because if someone doesn't want to talk, it's it's neither here nor there. It's like okay, you know, like on to the next one. It, it, yeah, I, you have to have that mindset where like there is a political science behind everything, and yeah. The idea of everyone wants to think that I'm going to change someone's vote and, and, and to a certain extent you you can try, but for my purposes, it's just getting people out to vote so wasting time you know, like you were saying wasting forty five minutes on on one person is, is great and especially if, if you end up coming to a good conclusion at the end but that's you know I try to keep each interaction to about five minutes and i've gotten pretty good at at you know keeping the interactions to five minutes um you know one thing that i've, I've kind of learned from from when i started to where i'm at now and of course you have to remember i, I started the petition process which you know i i'm very proud of myself because i ended up get like triple the amount of petitions that i needed to get on the ballot so i was, I was very happy about that but uh, starting the process then and where I'm at now, like back then you know, it was winter time, everyone was cold, so no one really wanted to keep their doors open. So, you know, let alone to have someone sign your, your petition. And, but now people are willing to talk. And as I'm walking through neighborhoods, I mean, there'll be people on the front porch who I'm, because I have like a little uh, a booklet of, of the voters that I'm supposed to be targeting, because not everyone necessarily has a, a voter ID in DC or, or they're not registered to vote is what I kind of mean. Uh, you know, we have a lot of uh, foreigners in DC. I mean, I've, I've walked to, to many doors where they're like, oh, I'm, I'm actually from Germany. I'm from France. I'm from Pakistan, or you know, wherever they're yeah. they might be from. Uh, and so, okay, you know, you, you be cordial and say, oh, thank you, sir, and, and or, thank you, sir, ma'am, and, and you walk away. Uh, but there are some. I've had some really good conversations with uh, people across the aisle. And again, it, it's you. You kind of learn to 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 talk about the things that you have in common as opposed to talk about the things that you are going to divide yourselves. You know, mm. um, you know, an advisor of mine or a mentor of mine really, uh, mentioned, you know, if it's not about addition or multiplication, I don't want to hear about it. I'm not, I'm not for subtraction or division. So I'm only going to talk about things that, and you can kind of get the feeling of what, what, the, where the conversation is going to go because everyone has something different that they care about. I mean, if you're talking to someone that that was just mugged the night before or the week before, they're going to want to talk about, hey, we need more cops on the street. Uh, but if you're talking about someone who had to shut their business down because, uh, you know, the, the, there's so much government red tape or, or the, the taxes are out the roof, then you're going to kind of talk about small businesses and, and legislation directed to that. So it is kind of different. But the idea of, of talking to someone for for over over half an hour, it, it, it depends on where it is in your um, in your walk list. I know for for my purposes with with phone calls on the other hand when i was making fundraiser phone calls that was you know i got pretty good towards the end of it i mean again it takes repetition to really get somewhere but i you know not ever having to been a salesman in my entire life i got pretty good at at what they call like you know closing the deal or mm. sealing the deal, you know, or or as um I don't know if you've seen Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, you know, always be closing. You know, uh, it's it's a famous speech that um uh, Alec Baldwin gives in the movie. It's 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 a good speech if you haven't seen it, but you know, in in there it's it's always be closing. But you know, being able to to make the cold call, introduce yourself, find some semblance of commonality, um, and then say, hey, if you support all the things that we just talked about, would you mind chipping in whatever you can? it would mean a lot, and that was very important because I, I'm using what's called the D.C. Fair Elections Program where I had to, before receiving the, the five-to-one matching from the D.C. Office of Campaign Finance, I had to first basically show that I was a worthy enough candidate, and I had to receive, um, it was like $12,000 across 250 donors where the maximum donation someone can give me is hundred dollars and being able to massage that into the conversation, eventually, you know, people might say, okay, I'll give you 25, I'll give you 50, i you know and some people might even give me a hundred, you know. And it, it became again easier. But I remember there was there was this one night that I was I was hangry, first of all. So I I learned to always have a big meal or something like that. And the guy had hung up the phone on me, like I like I had mentioned, which hurts so much especially since you know the people i'm calling are supposed to be in the republican universe so you know in theory i was calling a republican i was calling a republican who had hung up the phone on me, and at this point in the night like i'd already been hung up like maybe four or five times you know i was getting late i was getting hungry but i had this quota that i had to meet and i was really just trying to you know get my name out there and and that that really just kind of like put me in a funk you know i ended up coming home and thank god that yeah, I, I had my my wife and and at the at the time my roommate. Uh, I, mean, I kind of explained to them like, yeah, you know, I just got so frustrated about this guy hanging up on me, and I you know, luckily you know you have your your people there to to lift you up when you're down. But that was that was probably the, one of the lower points, and I've tried to not ever get to that point again. And you know, you can call that rock bottom, but I you know I, I think it was more of a lesson learned than than rock bottom.
0: Yeah, I'd say lesson learned for sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, definitely. I don't know. Like, I ended up signing her her petition. Like, she was she was in the petition getting process to get on the ballot for for governor of Virginia. Um, and I was signed it. But it, I probably if I had. It was, I'm the type of person that that conversation was like, let me h- try to help you out because maybe we need something new and even though i don't agree it seems like your heart is in the right place because we've had this conversation and then also do you want to come on the podcast because i can help like like i'm not in i'm not in the business of like getting rid of ideas i'm in the business of like getting ideas out there and then letting ideas debate ideas and then hopefully Absolutely. the better i like the better ideas will come out on top so like that's something where I feel like for me personally, that was really cool because nobody's knocked on my door before in that way. Um, did you have a lot of positive reactions in that? Or like, so I guess what, twofold. Did you have a lot of positive reactions? And you've talked about some of the pushback, but were you worried when you started going around that it just wasn't going to go well due to the demographics in, in D.C.? Like this strong, strong, like strongly Democrat for you, like, you know, this is not going to go well or were you? did you end up getting encouraged by the, like, how did that, or was it both, I guess?
1: Well, it, you know, it, it kind of brought me uh, the, the first day, you know, I was uh, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, uh, and, and, you know, I, I think I, I needed, a, you know, again, I needed a certain amount of signatures to get on the ballot, it's uh, like two, 2% two or 1% of the, the voter base of, of Republicans, because, you know, D.C. has a closed primary, so only Republicans can vote for me now, but in the general election, everyone can vote for me, mm-hmm. uh, and and I thought to myself, oh, my God, I'm going to get 100 signatures today. You know, I'm such a go-getter. I'm going to get 100 signatures. <laughs> and I think I ended up, like, getting one <laughs> after knocking on, like, 50 or 60 doors. It was blissfully cold. You know, it was it was blistering cold outside, and you know, everyone's bundled up. And, you know, it, it was just funny how I only got, like, one. Or, it was maybe, like, a page, you know, because the pages only had, like, 10 signatures on them. Yeah. And, I had gotten all the volunteers to sign. Okay, so that's cool. I started with maybe four, five, six, you know, signatures. But then after that, it was like maybe one, and um, it it really kind of set the set the benchmark so low. It's like, okay, this is what we're going to be. It's going to be a, a slog. We're going to be having to do this every day. We're going to have to this and the other. I mean, to, to get all this stuff done. And uh, I mean, eventually, like I said, you know, towards the end, we just became machines and and got it done. You know, because you know, buzz starts building around, but. Um I think in a lot of ways the reception has been mostly positive and I, I hate the way that, that humans kind of work. Our brains sort of take the one negative and associate that with the 10 positives and you all you know so yeah, yeah I, I try to, to avoid that sort of cognitive uh downside. However, uh, they, what I have found is a couple things. One, you know, there are Republicans who are like, Oh my God, I can't even believe that there's another Republican in DC. Of course I'm going to vote for you. This is fantastic. Great. Awesome. That's the person you want to talk to. Then there's people who are maybe independents because, because the, the, the data that we have or that we, we use isn't always accurate. And what what's kind of crazy is, you know, there, there are a lot of renters in Washington DC. So Therefore, the landlord might be Republican, but the people who are living in the house at that given time they might be staunch Democrats. Mm. And so, you know, you're you're knocking on the door thinking that you're going to talk to uh, you know so and so who's who's Republican, when in fact you're actually talking to their tenants who are, you know, more left than the Bernie Sanders type thing. And so, it's surprise. Yeah. So so, so every once in a while you get something like that, and and with that they. Sometimes they hear the word Republican, and they just say, I, you know, I, I know what a Republican is because I'm from, you know, uh, wherever I'm from because D.C. is very transient. And, you know, if, if you're like a Republican from Missouri, then I don't want to have anything to do with you. And, and a lot of times I have to take a step back and say, like, well, listen, I'm, I'm running a local election. I'm not running a national. I have not, I have nothing to do with nationalized politics. I'm running to be a seat on the council to dictate how a $19.6 billion budget is allocated, you know. And that's where I kind of get in with the idea of checks and balances, because everyone at that point, everyone's like, "Yeah, I do agree with with checks and balances. I do agree that's how the democratic process should work." And, and you leave the conversation fairly amicably because, hey, we, we got we got to the bottom of the fact that I'm not those people. I'm this person, and I'm focused on these things, not those things. I mean, it becomes very very simple. Uh, but that being in, in in mind, there have been a number of people that you know say, "Well, you know." Uh, obviously, January sixth has come up a lot. Uh, you know, Donald Trump has come up a lot. Um, you know, fair elections have come up a lot. You know, so, so like there have been a lot of conversations where, where tough conversations. You know, for, for people that that are trying to really feel me out, and once they realize I'm you know very purple, kind of you know very much a a, a city centric person that you know I love Washington D.C., um, then everything starts easing off. So there, there have been some good ones and there have been some, some bad occasions. Uh, I would say the, the good vastly outweighs the bad. And, and you know, another thing I've kind of found just to, to add on to this is the fact that there are a number of people because they've been so disenfranchised with the DC Republican party or the Republican party in general, because I know, you know, the, the not many Washingtonians voted for Donald Trump, even if they were Republican, for example, the, um, They've been so disenfranchised with the Republican Party or the DC GOP that they have either elected to, to re-register as independent just to kind of avoid politics altogether because they don't have to do anything until the general, fine, or they've actually re-registered as a Democrat so they can have a, at least a choice in the Democratic primary. So, you know, I, I've met a lot of couples who might have been a, a husband and wife uh, combination or whatever. Where where the, the husband was maybe the the Republican in the household, the wife was the Democrat in the household, uh, but she actually was kind of more of a conservative Democrat. She kind of wanted to to have the choice of who's going to be mayor, who's going to be uh, one of the at large seats, or or who's going to be the 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 council member of their ward, something like that. And so that's kind of what I found. So I, I think that it, people are mistaken when they think that there are you know they think that D.C. is entirely democratic. Uh, it certainly is the majority by, by any stretch of the imagination, but there is this sort of unspoken wave of, of conservatives, and I'm using that term differently than Republicans, because there's a wave of, of people who are, are conservative-minded who are just simply untapped or disenfranchised, and that's what I've found a lot of.
0: I mean, that I think, checks they're, out. They're, they're I looking think... for someone
1: normal. They're, they're just looking for someone to bring back some semblance of normalcy, and that's where I kind of say, hey, I'm in the Navy Reserve looking to put my 20 years in with a secret clearance, and I'm not looking to be a career politician. I think I fit the bill of, of someone that, that you're looking for to, to really shake things up in the positive way. You know, I, I'm not trying to – again, I'm not yeah. trying to divide or subtract. I'm trying to multiply and, 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 and have addition. So, yeah,
0: that's interesting. So you brought me. I was going to ask you this at some point, but you you got to the the sort of term limit career politician question that I was going to ask now, which is fine. But so you've been interested in this for 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 like forever, like you were saying. But you mm. had it in your head that you only wanted to do but one or two terms or whatever, something like that. What about it? Is where does that mindset come from? Because a lot of people get in and then, or or they they say they just want to. They want to help people. And then next thing you know, they've been in there for 20 years and this and that. So, but you have this sort of foresight, I guess, already that you're like, Nope, I'm doing my one or two terms and then I'm out. And I know obviously you got your Navy stuff going on, but even if I get the feeling from you that even if you didn't have that going on, you'd still be like, no, I'm out after one or two. Why do you think that is? And then what are your thoughts on, I don't want to just give you the gimme question of what are your thoughts on term limits generally because you'd be like, yeah, it's probably a good thing. But like the, where do you think has gone wrong for the people that want to stay in? Like what, like what do you think for? Like I don't know how it works DC, but just like generally speaking. So I guess the the two questions that are wrapped up in that one are where did the foresight come from that you only wanted to do one or two, and then what are your thoughts on generally the career like how how we ended up there not the the people that are there but how we ended up here
1: so so very good question and and you know that's actually kind of a good little good little parallel because yeah i mean, i, I had always had a vision for for great things in, in in public servitude and making sure to give back to the community and you know it, it wasn't until i really you know, became an adult and started paying a lot of attention to the political sphere what's going on i mean it was you know, at the academy you're kind of you know really busy with homework and, and you're, you're already sleep deprived so that wasn't really something that that i i could really focus and dive deep into it but when i was sailing on my on the merchant marine uh, i had nothing to do but read about politics or or you know uh, follow up on, on news articles or this that, and the other and so I, I kind of made it a, a an actual hobby and interest um and i think the the concept of of why i would want to determine this is one i mean i'm I'm already doing a lot of things in my life like i want to have a, a, a raise a family i want to make sure i, I do my navy career i want to make sure that you know i i also have entrepreneurial dreams where perhaps one day i'll start a, my own uh, consulting firm or, or you know I, I do government contract work but I, i'd like to maybe see what a career in that looks like as a as a professional entrepreneur and so those dreams aside, and the guy can dream certainly, but I think it's just imperative that if you haven't gotten done what you're supposed to be getting done in your in your couple terms, maybe you're not going to get it done ever. You know, I mean, there are some people who are in office for so long, and yeah, they, they I mean, they, they pass a lot of maybe legislation, but they keep finding new problems that they thought that they already have solved in the past, and you know, this is where I think, you know, it's, it's imperative that we stay in our, our lanes to a certain extent and, and not deviate, uh, because you can come up with problems that will never go away just by simply coming up with a problem. And and you run on this problem that, that is, is you're not really fighting against a, a thing. You're, you're fighting against this, this unsolvable problem that, that will never be solved. And so I think that, um, having that mindset where I'm, I'm, I'm there to be a problem solver. I mean, you know, like I said, I do engineering management. So that's the whole thought is like, how do you manage a a project? Well, if you think of each problem as a project and and there's a start and a finish to it, that's how I think. And I don't think of, there's never going to be some end to this project. It's just going to continue. Uh, So, so that's kind of, you know, maybe a lackluster answer for you, but that's how I feel in, in certain, in terms of, politicians the other thing is you know i got really into it there was a, a very good washington post uh, podcast called presidential and, and it was it was it went through uh every single president kind of what they were known for and i, I thought that it was uh it was a lot of fun and this is again i, I think i i had watched um <laughs> this is gonna sound funny but i, I watched on um, disney plus uh, alexander hamilton mm. uh, mm-hmm. the musical with with my wife and, and we were blown away we we, we loved it and we thought it was fantastic and, you know, maybe that's a, a, I guess it's a popular opinion, but, um, you know, it was the first time I kind of really had, had jumped onto a, a, a bandwagon, if you will, um, because I, you know, I, I am a Washington Redskins fan, so, or Commander, so there's, there's no bandwagon with, with them at all, you know.
0: Oh, no shot.
1: <laughs> yeah. But, but when, I, when I watched it, it kind of it dawned on me that, like, wow, like, I, I really am, I, I have no cl- concept of... American history at least at least to an extent that I would like to have to where I can converse with people who are into it and so that's where I sort of promulgated this this thought of like I'm gonna, I'm gonna read this or, or listen to this podcast about every single president and and figure out what everyone's known for this and the other and, and some of the presidents, I think it was it was a Polk who who was in one term and completely did everything he was like known as the president that did like 98 percent of the things that he, he had wanted to do that he set out to do uh, and it was all in this one term and I thought wow that's like that's that's awesome like that, if you can do that you know and, and not bite off more than you can chew type thing so yeah I, because I like that and also because I I want to to do other things I mean this is just a thing that I want to help with in the time being but I also want to mentor people and and be a, a guiding figure in the, in the future, uh, I think it's imperative that we pass the torch to, to get new ideas flowing through and, and, and see what works and what doesn't work. I mean, that's part of our democracy is, is being able to vet ideas.
0: Yeah, 100%. I agree totally. Speaking of presidents and presidential history, there's, uh, you know who Louis C.K. is? Comedian, yeah, yeah. The comedian. yeah. Did you uh, see him and Shane Gillis recorded six hours on the presidents for their for Shane's podcast, and they put it up recently?
1: Oh no, I, I, I should watch it. I know Louis is uh, coming back into the mainstream. So. <laughs>
0: it's I uh, I don't know how much of it is factually accurate, but I mm-hmm. think a lot of I think a lot of it is like they both are history buffs, but like the way they talk about it is. Uh, gave me, yeah. I watched all six hours because I'm a nerd. But, you know, <laughs> I'm, a big,
1: uh, I'm a big hardcore history with dan carlin fan
0: oh yeah he's great dan yeah. carlin is uh do you watch the world war I one one or listen to it yes
1: or? uh it was at the supernova in the east
0: no it's um or, it's like the great war or something like that i don't
1: remember. I, 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 I've, I've listened to most of his stuff but the first one i listened to was about the anabaptist and um in germany and that mm-hmm. after that i was hooked i was like oh my god this guy does his research oh uh, going yeah. is fantastic and i can't get enough like I'm, I'm always very excited when like he has a new something come out because i know it's going to be very quality about something that i maybe had never even knew about or had any interest in to begin with uh you know that was one of the things this um this past year and you know most of this was during covid <clears throat> i had put pressure on myself because i i, I really uh, i'm a i'm a Avid reader in the in the DC uh, uh, public library. I love it, love it, love it. And I put pressure on myself to um, read a hundred books in a year. Mm. And uh, by December thirty first, I think I started in November, so, so I guess by November thirty, you know, uh, December first, maybe you know, whatever whatever cutoff date I gave, I had read eighty nine books. And. Yeah because the DC library uh, only has so many books, it it really kind of gave me an opportunity to, to read books that I had maybe heard about that I never really would have picked up on my own accord. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and like, like one of the big ones, for example, like this was in the, the, the societal conversation for a while was uh, the white fragility book. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that was one that like, I took the time to actually read it and, 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 digest it and figure out what was being said in it because i i, I like to think that if I, I can't have opinions on things if i don't do the research to have the opinion in the first place i can't just sure do yeah something that is incorrect or wrong and so it was it was this this whole year i was going through i mean I, I read uh some of some of the highlights i read like guns Germs and steel which i thought was fantastic i read um i uh, need to read that the Sapiens, which I thought was great. That the the uh, uh, Homo Deus, which is like kind of the second book. I, I read Alexander Hamilton, um, Grant. Uh, I kind of was in, into history for a little while. I read a bunch of um, uh, one of the books I read was called The Art of Thinking Clearly, and that kind of went through all the different cognitive biases that we have, and I thought that was brilliant. Uh, and and I, I really enjoy some of those like uh, uh, Hack Your Life or self-help sort of studies. Uh, anything by Malcolm Gladwell I found was was fantastic mm-hmm. good stuff. And, and But it, it really uh, broadened my horizons uh, to, to the point where now, I mean, I'm, I still read, I, I read less because of the campaign, unfortunately, but I, I'm the type of guy that uh, goes to the gym and, and just despite the fact that growing up, I was so into to music and I was like the, the music buff in my friend group who, who knew artists and, and albums and this that, and the other, uh, despite that, I, maybe I, I don't want to say I've grown out of my love for music, but I certainly have more so now than ever if i go work out or, or when i go work out i try to keep it on a routine i'll be listening to a, a book or a podcast mm, i do that as well
0: yeah I'd, yeah for sure i it's a just real quick to go back to carlin like the world war one one specifically if you want to learn about the horrors of war hey, that's the one that will give you the the, the shock and awe um, but yeah I'm the same way in the gym I'm podcast books like mostly podcasts but it's often subjects that I enjoy listening to or something that I want want to learn more about and then I, there's different ranges like mm-hmm. if my brain is like you know what I, I can't take a Lex Friedman talking about quantum physics <laughs> podcast or like AI that I'll go pop on like a flagrant two or like a like a comedian one Well, I don't have to think that much but there's still like Sure. They cover current events just in a much different way that you don't really have to like wrap your head around it as much.
1: Um have you ever heard of the uh I think it's Tom Segura and his wife, like the your mom's house. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah that, that one's really that one's hilarious. hilarious. Who's the uh, is it is it Theo Vaughn? He, he, yeah, I guess it's okay. Theo um, Vaughn,
0: yeah, he's good. he's so funny. He's a goof. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's a ton of good ones that are out there, like and they're all yeah. No, it's good um all right let's shift gears a little bit you've got three issues uh specifically on your um your website and it's the, the public safety one the kind of fiscal responsibility one and then you got one about uh education and choice so for i don't know do you care which one we start with no all right we'll go fiscal responsibility so what are your thoughts on fiscal responsibility? What can you like sort of frame the problem in the way that you see it now? And then what do you want to do about it?
1: So so these uh, I, I perceive that these next uh, few questions are going to be uh, very much directed towards platform stuff, and I'm going to answer them as best as I can. But I also sure. uh, please, uh, for your audience, uh, recognize that I am in a, a closed primary, and anything that I do say now, not necessarily is is, well, how do I say this? Anything I do say now, um, is, is stuff that I've, I've I've vetted and I've gone through and I, I, I understand, but I'm still learning every single day. And I'm still learning issues because again, I'm I'm door knocking on the regular. I mean, you know, I, I just, I came, you know, this is my volunteer. So I came from, from door knocking, you know, earlier. Uh, so, so recognize that, that a lot of the issues are still being finalized and, We will have a full relaunch of our website come June 22nd after the primary, uh, which will have in detail policy issues and policy plans that we want to work on. But until then, I I don't necessarily need to give ammunition to uh, any of my my opponents just so so we're clear. Sure. Fair enough. Um, But in in terms of uh, fiscal responsibility, I'm going to go real philosophical with this one. Uh, just asking you are you someone that will want your taxes to be raised and not have a say if your taxes are being raised no i don't like paying taxes generally well that is something that especially my opponent because i have to focus kind of in my lane again you know on, on my opponent Alyssa silverman um that's something that she voted to, to raise taxes in washington dc without a hearing to have the public say well actually no i Kind of like what my taxes are, so, so that, that, that's kind of where I'm coming from when I talk about fiscal responsibility. Is, is why are you taxing people when we have a surplus budget in Washington DC? We have you know, to put things in perspective. You know, DC just got issued a 19.6 billion dollar budget, and New York City, for example, which is a large city, has an, like a 99 billion dollar budget. DC's 19.6. LA has a $12 billion city budget. So we have so much money in D.C. that's being allocated, kind of, in my opinion, inappropriately to, to, to fund programs that have either A, not worked, have been proven to not work in various other cities, or are completely just nonsensical that, that you know, I'm trying to provide some semblance of, of common sense to, to the way the budget's being allocated having that being said the other major issue is when affordable housing is or when housing is being built in in various locations across the city it's raising taxes for the, the housing taxes for the, the residents who live there who may have already paid off their house and now their taxes are becoming more than what their mortgage was so to me I think that we need to put money back into the voters. We need to put money back into the public uh, in into their pockets. And we need to have some semblance of a safety net for the people who can, can utilize the proper funding and, and, and with programs that work. So that's fiscal responsibility in my mind. Um, I also think that, well, yeah, that's, that's all I'll say about that for, right, for right the second.
0: Uh, no worries. Um, you had public safety on there. So I know a lot of people were talking about, uh, defunding the police, et cetera. Um, the last couple of years, um, you no know, crime rates have gone up in cities generally across the U S last couple of years. Um, yeah, thoughts. I like, so again, if you want to frame the problem a bit, I know that kind of framed it a bit for you, but Going to frame the problem and then kind of what is what is your what are your ideas? Um, And I know that again we're we're not going to flesh out full policy positions here, um, but just general thoughts on, on the subject.
1: So DC is kind of a an interesting case study because we have federal property where I mean we have tons of protests on federal land. So obviously, like for example, one of the most recent things was what happened with the Supreme Court leak. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and what happens when we have these, these massive protests, it takes away our already dwindling police force and makes them pay attention to what's going on with the, with the protest. For a long, long, long time, it's been kind of understood that D.C. needs a 4,000- a police force, or 4,000 officers in a police force, and right now we're hovering around 350. Now what that's caused, it's one, caused crime rate to skyrocket, two, response time is I think around 90 seconds, so if you're being attacked, mugged, raped, uh, you know, need the police officer for any, any reason, you have to wait an additional 90 seconds on average for that police officer to show up to your door, which I think is, again, problematic. I mean, we could certainly reduce that number. But that comes with incentivizing police to stay in the, in, in the force. So, so what's kind of been happening is there has been initiatives and there has been funding because you know while my opponent, for example, is a defund the police progressive, the mayor, on the other hand, is, is pro-police. I mean, there, there are plenty of people in the council that recognize we need a police force. And so what's happened is we, through legislation, we have basically enacted policy that cripples what the police can and can't do. They, they no longer have due process. They can't uh, do anything. It's, it's, it's catch and release with, with, with juveniles. Uh, and, and they're restricted in a lot of ways with with other sort of uh, off off the beat kind of crimes that they can do, for example, like one of them is is uh, a big nu- nuisance in the city. There are people that ride ATVs around or, or ride their dirt bikes around, causing just noise violations and just it's just you know havoc across town. And the police can't you know pursue them; they they can't do anything about that. That was one of the you know so that's how policy affects it. And what you know you have to look at this from a holistic viewpoint. What that's done it's made police who are either retiring to say, you know what, I could put maybe five, 10 more years in, I'm already at my retirement age, I'm just going to get out. So they're leaving. And then police who, who have been disrespected because of uh, uh, the whole defund the police movement are saying, you know what, I could go somewhere else and have a better time, not be dealing with this BS, I'm leaving. So Every single year, we're leaving. We're losing about 350 police officers, or you know, 330, 350 police officers, but we're only gaining a net of like 20 police officers. So if we're losing 350. We're only gaining 370. And the, how how are we supposed to get to the the 4,000 number if people are or if the police specifically are so disenfranchised to, to actually be able to do their job, to actually do what police And not to mention, and and I'll tie this into education as well, but the council had recently voted for all of the the, um, SCOs, uh, which are the the police officers who are in school, Mm -hmm. uh, the the various DC public schools. uh, They voted for those police officers to transition out of of the office and basically have a a security guard in place. And this has become a huge issue, especially in light of, of what's maybe happened in Texas and what have you. I think there was a stabbing in Alexandria, for example. But what this has done is is now we don't have that, that link to the communities through the school with the Metropolitan Police Force. So it's furthering the divide between the community and, and children and the Metropolitan Police. And so I, my thought is, one, I'd like to, to change that, change that policy. And I want to, to build a rapport between the police force and our community communities and be an advocate on the council to make sure that that you know police lives aren't being affected negatively based off the legislation that's being passed uh and, and this also encompasses again fiscal responsibility because many of our you know it, again everything's kind of holistic so it's tough to say just one thing um, but many of our police our teachers our, our workers can't find affordable housing so they're having to live not where they're working they're having to live Mm-hmm. Suburbs or what have you and that's affecting again their morale because if you're the police officer in your neighborhood who lives in your neighborhood and patrols in your neighborhood it, that builds that rapport with your neighborhood in the same way a small business who's not affected by heavy tax policies is able to uplift the neighborhood by just being the local mom and pop shop for whatever reason um and so you know, a lot of the in, in that, that's why those those are kind of my, my three lanes I'm sticking to because you saw how each lane is encompassing something else. I mean, it, it's very much a holistic approach. One thing does affect the other. So by by you know putting putting the police in a precarious situation by by passing legislation to to restrict them from doing their job means that we don't have safe neighborhoods. Means that people aren't enticed. live in those neighborhoods and they're going to move again i think i started the 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 podcast or maybe just the conversation i was having with you but but in 2021 dc had one of the largest migrations out of the city compared to every other city in the country or in the country Uh, i think we lost like three percent of our population in one year which is astronomical and so my my thought is you know again with affordable housing and with Uh, making sure we have a strong police force and a strong education system is those are things that incentivize people to come live in Washington, D.C., stay in Washington, D.C., gain generational wealth in Washington, D.C., and so forth. I mean, you know, D.C. should be, I mean, and this is coming from a native Washingtonian, D.C. should be a place where you belong as a citizen of the United States.
0: Yeah, fair enough. I have two clarification questions. The first one is um, the ninety-second response time. Is that a, like additional onto another response time, or is that just response time period? Because out, like, I've never lived in a city, so mm-hmm. for me that seems very fast.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, that that's uh, it, that's in DC. So so is six. that
0: like, but like before was it like six, like sixty, or whatever? Like, like I out out where I live if a cop was at my door in 90 seconds i'd be like damn that was fast so i guess that's just uh, well, that's
1: a, that's uh, a point i mean you know, dc is is a little bit more of a smaller jurisdiction uh that that's an answer i'll actually have to find out i i don't know um the yeah for of, sure you know, that's i research, yeah.
0: that's a curiosity question not also not you know been i don't mm-hmm. really deal with the police that much because i try to not you know do illegal things but Okay, um, and then the other question is that the the that four thousand number, where does that number come from? Is that some is that like a study that was done some time ago, or, or like
1: this, this number it has been in the conversation well before myself. I mean, th- this is a number that comes from the mayor's office. This is a number that comes from council members prior to to my my even thought of running. I mean, it, this isn't a number that I'm just pulling out of thin air. It, it's a number that has been addressed for quite some time. I, I, sure. do I know the time limit. I, I don't necessarily know the time limit. I, again, I have to go back to the books on that one. But it's been, for all intents and purposes, it's been the number that people are seeking in Washington, mm-hmm. D.C.
0: Fair enough. And last one, this might be holding your feet to the fire a little bit more, but to have a strong education system and strong police force to increase those things would require revenue. So I don't know how the budget is allocated now. But well, most of the time when people hear, okay, well, we're going to do more of this or more of this or more government spending, that usually means the taxes will go up. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we've discussed, we don't like that. Uh, and so what's kind of, is there well,
1: thoughts on, we, thoughts we on have, that generally? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Washington, D.C., at least to, to my understanding, we, we have a, a surplus of revenue, and we've done, we've done a good job of having kind of this surplus of revenue, especially dating back from when we were bankrupt in the 1970s. Um, the problem is with this surplus of revenue, we have elected to to spend it on things that are a little bit more frivolous as opposed to saying, oh, well, we have the surplus of revenue for the rainy day fund. Uh, you know, why don't we just keep it in our savings and, and lower taxes? So money has already been allocated to the various programs that it's going to be spent on. Um, so, yeah, I don't know that clarifies your question sure. a little bit, but the, the money has already been allocated, but it's just we, we, we continue to increase the way we spend. Instead of saying, oh, we're good now, we, we continue to increase. And that's what's driving people out, saying, you know what, this isn't worth it anymore because the money that's being spent clearly doesn't have a return on investment because we have uh, the highest crime rate in 20 years. We have like the 37th best educational system out of 50 states. Uh, and you know, I can get a better job elsewhere because there's no economic development because half of downtown's closed down. So yeah. like that's, that, that's kind of what, what, you know, And again, it, it's very holistic, but that's what, what I'm kind of referring to is when, when, when you don't have the return on investment how are you being fiscally responsible with the programs that you are funding because people can recognize that it's not, it's not giving you any, any money or it's not giving you what you paid for, you know?
0: Yeah, for sure. No, that makes sense. Like there's stuff in in Fairfax I can point to where the taxes are going, like the, the, the parks that are here, the turf soccer fields and stuff like there's stuff to point to where it's like, yeah, you know, that's fine. I'll, I'll pay for that. And it's like, that's fine. Um, yeah fair enough uh, and then the last one on there, you touched on it a bit already but um, education but i think you uh, i think specifically on your website you you mentioned choice in education, so yeah. you kind of walk through walk through that one for us as well
1: so so that that 's kind of a big issue in washington d c is school choice or the opportunity for a parent to choose where they send their their child uh, and, and I think this is a, a very much a principal ordeal i think that it 's one of those deals where if if I was a parent and I wanted to send my child to the best opportunity at a school where they will succeed and, and, and move on to, to greener pastures, uh, I, I would like to have that choice. And I would like for that choice to also be funded adequately. So, so the big issue I think is the, the DC public schools and the DC charter schools, public charter schools, we want to make sure that the allocation of funds is fair across the two. So so that's – I mean, it, it's very much a, a – a, you either are for, for school choice or for only sending your kids to the neighborhood school, and that's that. And I think the school choice, as as kind of a capitalist or as as, as a person that appreciates good competition, school choice I think is, is the better way to go, especially if you're trying to, to seek out the best output for your child.
0: Yeah makes sense all right i won't put you on it anymore put you on the spot anymore we've got your three policy positions on the website we walked through those it's getting a bit late so in summary if you had to wrap it all up and to anyone listening in dc why should they vote for you
1: simply put they should vote for me if they want to see change on the council and specifically a positive change again I'm running to bring checks and balances and to tilt the, the needle just closer to the center mark. It's not going to change overnight. I really, you know, what I explain to a lot of people is, or, you know, when I'm knocking on doors is I can't interfere with policy being issued by the, my, the Democrats on the council, but what I can do is make that policy better and, and fit more, more you know, check more boxes and, and, and make it stronger policy. And so a vote for me would make better policy because of the checks and balances. And I I think a vote for me would also bring transparency, accountability, and responsibility because these are values I have through the leadership that I have as an officer in the Navy.
0: Fair enough. Good answer. Where can the people find you?
1: I am on all social media at, well, I guess it's, it's at, Niosi oc 2022. I'm most active on on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, but I do have a YouTube page. I am really looking for 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 volunteers who want to who have same similar values. Who want to come out and, and meet me and, and and door knock and and there. Are, there's so many different volunteer opportunities in a campaign, so anybody really can can come. And I try to keep an open door policy, you know, so I have my, my number and my, my email on my website. If you want to reach out to me, just have a chat, which I, I highly encourage. And my 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 website is NIOSI or NIOSI2022.com. And again, the website is going to be relaunched on close to, to the end of the primary. So I'm very excited about that. So, so what you see now will probably be different in a few weeks. But yeah, I'm, I'm just very excited. And I'm very excited to, to have the support that I already have. I mean, one thing I hadn't mentioned earlier in the podcast is I'm the fourth Republican in decades to have raised over $100,000. And Ooh. That's, I mean, to to put it lightly, that's astronomical. I'm 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 on the Mount Rushmore of Republicans who have ever fundraised adequately. So, with that in mind, it's um, we're full steam ahead. I mean, every single day I'm working. You know, it's it's almost uh almost 10:10 10, 10 right now, and this is most of the time when I'm getting off off work and out of campaign mode. I mean, you know, between texting, calling, and, and volunteering, and, and just doing things. I'm busy all the time, but I love it. I'm having the most fun, honestly.
0: Awesome. Well, best of luck to you. We'll have to do this again when we're less busy and we can not do this at 10 at night. We talk about <laughs> funny things and stuff, serious things and, and all the rest of it. But um, we'll get all those links down in the description below. So go check that out. Um, like you said, all the, all the links will be there. Shoot him a message. I'm sure. He'll be happy to chat um yeah any last nickels
1: i'm good thank you for the time thank you for the opportunity to to talk to your your fan base
0: yeah for sure all right guys with that we'll see you guys next time peace